0: Welcome to the Kings Insider podcast on NBCSportsCalifornia.com. Brought to you by Wendy's. I am James Ham, and we are kicking off draft coverage. I love draft coverage. Everyone should love draft coverage, especially if you're a Sacramento Kings fan because you're always in the lottery. Uh, and today we're starting it off with from the Athletic and also the Game Theory podcast. Mr. Sam Vecini. What's going on, Sam? James,
1: how's it going, man? I feel like we always have to podcast this time of year, and I'm very sorry that we have to podcast this time of year because it means it's another year where the Kings have missed the playoffs and, you know, messy organization and all. I want the best for their fans. I I want them to feel success at some point, and we just haven't gotten to that stage yet.
0: It's funny. I go through my Rolodex every year, and it's like, okay, I've got to call Sam. I've got to call... Mike Schmitz, Although Mike Schmitz, he made big time this year, people. He, he, the Draft Express, uh, you know, vibe. It is weird now that they're ESPN, but you know, I've got to bring in the best of the best to talk because we're always, always around number seven, around number six, around number five. Uh, it, it just, you know, it's sort of life in Sacramento. It, it's something you get used to until next year when they don't have a pick. And, like, they're going to be scrambling. How do we get a pick because we can't, like, break this trend?
1: So Yeah, I have a weird feeling this year that the Kings are going to move up in the lottery. I don't know why. Like, it's obviously not mathematically sound or anything. It's obviously not, like, a, uh analytically uh, well-thought-out opinion. I just have a strange feeling that the Kings are going to get a top-three pick this year just because it's been so long.
0: You know, and last year they did. They moved from, what, I think they were eight— to three back to five because of the pick swaps. So that hurt. Um, and, and I, I sometimes get that feeling they're going to move up too, but then they never do. And it never really works out. And I would love it if they did, because this is an intriguing draft and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to, to that, but, um, you know, you want your team to get as high in the draft as possible. Yeah. Even if it's just so they have options, you know, if they land the number one pick, would they stay at number one or would they slide, would they trade back and acquire some more assets? I mean, there are so many different things that, that could happen, and I think that's the best part about draft season. It's, it's almost like Christmas. You, you think you know what you're going to get but then you, you don't really know because there's wrapping paper around them and you don't really know what's in each box, but you think you know. And so there's some excitement and there's, you know, and so, I, again, I love it. And and I guess the best part about being in Sacramento is that typically we get to see all of these guys. Yeah. They all come through and especially last year they were able to land, I think it was something like seven of the top 20 came through Sacramento. Yeah. So uh, they're they're definitely doing a better job of of pulling in some of these picks. So I, I guess we'll start with this, Sam. How deep is this draft? Uh, it's it's always my first question. Like, is this a seven man draft? Is it a nine man draft? Is it a three man draft? Uh, what what is your first instincts on this draft?
1: So it's a great question. I think we're very early in the process still. I, I feel really good about DeAndre Ayton. I feel really good about like a next tier of like Marvin Bagley, Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson, uh, you know, Muhammad Bamba. You could throw in that tier as well. You could throw Michael Porter in that tier, depending on what happens with his back and all of the medical checks he'll get. Uh, you could even maybe throw Trey Young and Colin Sexton there uh, if you wanted. So I, I feel good about six, and then you get two point guards. That's eight. Uh, You know, you could maybe talk me into someone like a uh, depending on if you like Mikhail Bridges a lot. You could maybe talk me into Wendell Carter or Miles Bridges. I would say you should feel good if you have a top 11 pick in this draft. I I like 14, maybe 13 guys uh, quite a bit. Whenever you include Kevin Knox and Shea Alexander from Kentucky who are in a really tough Mm -hmm. situation this year. But. You know, I think that you get down to 13, you should feel pretty solid. But, you know, there are different tiers within those 13 where you should feel, uh, you know, more or less confident.
0: Now, you brought up Aiden. Is he a legitimate number one uh, above and beyond? Or is there still a 1A, 1B with him and Don't Fitch?
1: So it's, it's a great question. I feel the most safe. With DeAndre Ayton, I don't know that he is the like he's going to be the best player in this draft. Like you know, with Carl Towns, we felt pretty good about Carl Towns being the best player in the oh, 2015 course. draft. In uh, 2016, we felt good about Ben Simmons being the best player in that draft. Although you'd hear like you know a couple of people complain about like oh is it is it Brandon Ingram? I didn't really ever get that, but this draft, I think he's number one more because he is the guy that you can feel most comfortable being productive on an all-star level. Uh, You look at what his numbers were this year. They were astronomically good for a freshman. Like it put him in a class essentially with like Tim Duncan and uh, you know, you could throw in Chris Kamen on the lower level. But, uh, like, his numbers this year were 20.1 points, 11.6 rebounds while hitting 61% of his uh, field goal attempts. Oh, yeah, and he went 12 of 35 from behind the three-point arc because he can shoot and blocked almost two shots a game because he's 7'1 and the biggest athletic freak I think I've ever seen other than LeBron James. So, like, you can feel good about that guy, but he's not, like— a flawless prospect. He is some defensive concerns. He wasn't awesome on that end this year. Uh, he has some concerns in terms of the jump shot. Is he going to be a true stretch big? And, you know, there are some worries about how he reads the game in terms of his passing ability, how he reads the game in terms of his feel. He's a good passer whenever he gets time and energy, but that time dissipates really quickly in the NBA. So uh, really, really high level player and you're nitpicking whenever you bring up those negative aspects because the positives Mm -hmm. so far outweigh them. But I don't think it's a sure thing that he's like the best player in this draft either.
0: Yeah, when I watched him, especially when they got bounced from the tournament, I thought, number one, not a great basketball IQ. Um, that's going to have to come. He, he needs to spend more time on the court. I thought, uh, not great in space, specifically on the defensive end. Like, if, if really? he's got to defend, I, I don't know. I, I just thought, you know, when they played Reno and I'm watching, it was Reno, right? They got bounced by. Buffalo. Um, tournament. Oh, Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're watching a big man that that is has no business in an NBA, and he and he's running right by him. I thought, okay, I, I see a little bit of space here. I didn't see the motor, uh, although he is physical and he and he does have some some moments. But I also like, man, is is his whole, his main post move? He didn't do his work early, and then when he did his main post move, was like a pin down over the top, under standing underneath the basket. Uh, I just thought he he's going to need time. And while his physical tools are incredible, he may take, you know, two, three years. And and I guess that's typical with any big anyways. um, But he's not going to take a team and make them great in year one uh, and probably not year two. I, I think he's probably a little bit longer of a prospect than a lot of first, you know, number one overall Pixar where you mentioned Carl Anthony Towns, where you knew coming in, Oh man, this guy, I mean, he may not put up 20 and 10 in his rookie year, but he might cl- come close. Uh, and so that's just my opinion. Maybe I am way off, but I've also talked to guys who, you know, who spent a lot of time in the pac 10 or the pac 12. And they're like, man, every single coach is raving about yeah. this kid and just says, he's just, you just can't defend him. So, so maybe I'm off, but, uh, you know, as as far as a number one prospect, uh, he's got sort of he looks the part, right? Yeah, he
1: he more looks the part than anyone in this draft by far, uh, really than anyone since like LeBron James, and that's I don't think that's an exaggeration. Like he is seven foot one, two hundred and sixty pounds, but like the two hundred and sixty pounds wears like perfectly on his body. Like he is a muscular, physical freak who has a forty inch vertical yes. leap who is a 7 foot 6 7 foot 7 wingspan uh just every single little physical trait he has it like in more ways than any player I think since LeBron uh the athleticism is there as well I tend to agree with you on the motor uh not being like at the highest level but I think that something that is worth remembering is that all of this has to be put into context. So motor was always his biggest concern coming into Arizona. He mostly played really hard this year. Uh, the Buffalo game got a little bit rough. <laughs> the, the Buffalo yeah, yeah, game yeah. got very, very rough for him, but you know, he mostly dispelled that notion as much as he could this year that he wasn't necessarily going to play hard all the time. Um, also it's worth pointing out how atrocious Arizona's defense was in general this year, because they had <laughs> nobody who was a positive perimeter defender. Really, uh, Dylan Smith is maybe the worst perimeter defender, like technique-wise, I've ever seen. Uh, Raleigh Alkins was coming off of a foot injury and was really, really slow because he has a big frame to begin with, and just got blown by consistently. Alonzo Trier is not a great defender, and Parker Jackson Cartwright is like five nine, so he got put into a lot of really, really difficult spots. And he actually made the all pac 12 defensive team because he protects the rim. And because whenever he got put out on an Island with guards, he could shut down penetration whenever his like mind was locked in. I am a little bit worried. I'm more worried about the interior rotations with him defensively. I don't think he reads the play as quickly as he needs to. Uh, But on the perimeter, I feel pretty okay about him moving.
0: Yeah, and I think also being in a lineup with another big really didn't help him either. I yeah, mean, at absolutely. the NBA level, it, it's just gone away from that too big. I mean, you have teams that have two bigs, but it really has gone away from that, you know, grit and grind, the the two monsters in the in the post. And you've got to be more versatile. So it's good that he can shoot. Um, I, I just didn't really love him matched up against power forward yep. sometimes. And so, again, I mean, I think that they're – there's so much to work with there and the Kings would have to get so lucky to get the number one pick. But I'll say this too, like if the basketball gods are shining upon people for doing things the right way, um, I think Sacramento of all the the teams that are in that bubble, you know, at the the top of the lottery, they really did play it out. They, they actually tried to win games. They win won games, even when they shouldn't have won games and it hurt them. Even the last game of the yep. season, you know, they, they beat Houston, of course, Houston signed. They signed a guy at like 5 p.m. and, and put him in the, in the lineup and played him a bunch. Uh, but at the same time, I thought that the Kings, you know, they did things the right way. And when you see teams like Phoenix and Memphis just really, really like violating the code of what is acceptable in in the tankathon, um, so I, I would hope that the Kings would get some love from the basketball gods for for playing it out and, and for, you know, taking an honest approach. They took a really strange approach at the beginning of the year where they have 10 players under the, uh, you know, on rookie-scale deals. I think it was something like uh, eight of them combined to play like 77 games uh, in their careers, and then you had Buddy Hield who had played 82, and then you had Willie Cauley-Stein who had played. Um, but outside of that, you know... They really did go into the season young, knowing that they were hitting a reboot and and rebuilding in a way that I don't think anyone has ever seen. Um, But again, the basketball gods have to at least smile at them a little bit and say, hey, maybe, maybe we give you a little bit of a bump here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I want to root for the Kings because I like a lot of the guys that are on this roster. I think that De'Aaron Fox had a rough rookie year in a lot of ways but he Mm -hmm. is a guy that constantly shows effort. He plays hard all the time. Uh, And I hope that the defense starts to translate a little bit better, just I think as he continues to fill out his frame. And I would hope that the vision starts to come along in a little bit more of a substantial manner, because that was one thing that scared me a little bit from what I saw from him this year. He would get a little tunnel visiony. And then Buddy, I love Buddy Heald. I think I wrote like the first Buddy Heald, like from the Bahamas feature uh, in college basketball. I, uh, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein took really great strides this year, too, I thought, after I was not. Not really a fan of him during his first couple of years. So they've done Mm -hmm. a really nice job of, you know, kind of cultivating talent uh, and cultivating a lot of pieces that could be really solid going forward. And there is something to be said for playing hard throughout the course of the year. And, uh, you know, I didn't even mention Bogdan Bogdanovich, who was awesome as a rookie, too. So there's a there's a lot to be excited about. I think if you're a Kings fan, there's just uh, the guy isn't there yet. You know what I mean? Like that one guy that can really, you know, push them over the top, the superstar type.
0: Yeah, I would agree. You you hope that one or two of them develop into, you know, can De'Aaron Fox be an all-star level player? Can Harry Giles maybe be that mystical beast that we haven't, you know, that they need that, that special player that they don't have? Um, there's, there's a lot of positivity coming around the team with him. Um, but again, until he steps onto an NBA floor and can prove that he can play at all, that he he can survive without having his knees just go away, uh, is, is going to be a major question mark. I, I guess I'll ask you that. Uh, if Harry Giles didn't have knee injuries, where would he be either last year's draft or this year's draft in Europe?
1: If Harry Giles had zero knee injuries, I have yeah. him at number one coming into the 2017 like draft cycle. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm an idiot for that because it was just not a realistic scenario apparently after having talked to NBA executives, but, uh, he's that talented. He is just an unbelievably athletic player pre-injury. He could run the floor like a guard. He had a burgeoning perimeter game where he could kind of take guys off the bounce and could knock down 16 footers. Uh, just a very, very gifted, athletic, quick twitch athlete who I think, uh, you know, kind of matched up a little bit to a Chris Bosch type before he went down with all the injuries. So it's, uh, you know, it's very disappointing. He'd probably be somewhere like top three in the last draft class and probably, you know, top top five in this draft class, something along those lines. But it's it's, I, I don't know if we can trust that necessarily at this stage.
0: It's tough. Uh, I've watched. I mean, they've they put kid gloves on with him big time, and they've really brought him along slowly. But they went. They sent him down to uh, man. Uh, is it P three down in Southern yep, California? Uh, P
1: three, the sports uh, science place in Santa Barbara.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, he tested as his athleticism and lateral quickness tested as an elite small yep. forward. And he's and he's six ten. Uh, two fifty legitimate and at talk, he literally, he's the sweetest yep. kid that you're ever, he, he's funny, um, but he's sweet. He's got a big old Southern draw, uh, just really, really a nice kid. So pulling for him. Cause you want his, uh, his legs to be yep. okay. It, it's, I mean, this is something that could drag on the rest of his life where he has, he has knee issues. So I'm hoping that he was able to take that big leap. Yeah,
1: Everyone um, in the basketball world is pulling for him. He like you, you talked to. Every single person in the basketball community, and they'll have the same opinions, is what James kind of just said about Harry Giles, the person. And you know, you just really have to hope that the knees hold up. He he really is a great, like, spectacular human, though.
0: Yeah, he is. Okay, so I, I'm gonna ask you. This is sort of random, but how the Kings did win that last game against Houston, and it cost them. It cost them the coin flip. How big is of, of a of a loss is going from six to seven in this draft? Because I mean, realistically it could cost you the opportunity. Your latest mock draft you have, uh, you have Michael Porter jr. Going number six and you have Obama going seven, but is it that huge that from six to seven? Um,
1: Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to say until we see the lottery, you know what I mean? And obviously part yeah. of the loss problem was that they dropped a spot in the lottery and lost a couple of lottery balls. But, um, it's, it's hard to say until, you know, what the draft order says, it could be catastrophic. It could be, uh, you know, it could be nothing. Uh, a lot of the time I think that it gets played up as a bigger deal than it is because so rarely, is it a situation where teams have the same six guys in their board? You know what I mean? Like the Mm -hmm. Kings will have Muhammad Bamba higher than, you know, X team will have him or they'll have Jaron Jackson lower than Y team will have him. And and, uh, you know, so rarely do we see a six person draft where the six are so incredibly clear cut. That, you know, ev- everyone knows it. And I think that a great example of that is Donovan Mitchell, right? Like Donovan Mitchell bursting onto the scene this year, becoming what he was. Some teams certainly had him like at number 10 on their board, number eight on their board. Some teams had him at like 15 or 16 on their board. But you know, Donovan Mitchell has stepped up and, you know, kind of broken the mold of this is an X player draft in many ways where uh, you have to just evaluate and see what guys end up fitting your system best and hope that the players you want fall to you.
0: Yeah. It's funny you bring him up because I know a lot of people, they say, Oh, well look, Giannis slid and Kawhi Leonard slid and it's, well, those guys slid, but they also weren't who they are, you know, in year one and sometimes even year two, what we saw out of Donovan Mitchell. And when we had Donovan Mitchell in Sacramento for pre-draft, I actually thought there there was a way that Donovan Mitchell would have been selected by the Kings. And that was if De'Aaron Fox would have gone higher and say a player like Jason Tatum or Josh Jackson would have fallen to number five, the Kings would have drafted a small forward there and then come back with a guard at number 10. And, and so I actually thought, okay, Donovan Mitchell is is a, a potential player for the Kings at ten because I think you had to like him. I, I mean, I liked him better than I liked Frank and Telekina. uh and, and so I'm I'm looking at this like, okay, so it's possible that this could be the two. But when he came through Sacramento, he had it was almost like an old school agent had really worked with him hard to say, look you need to keep telling them you can play the point guard. You have to tell them that you you envision yourself as a point guard. Yeah. And it's something I saw, you know, maybe even going back to Jimmer for debt or to CJ McCollum. Uh, these are guys who came in and said, look, I, I can play the point guard position at the NBA level. And it's like, well, whether you can or not, it, we'll make our own decision. But that's what I saw out of Mitchell. He also peppered in that, like, look, I'm the best defensive you know, perimeter player in yeah. this draft. And, you know, and so it's like, okay, I do like you. I, and I think he put on a show. And so I actually think that if the draft would have gone differently in the top five, that the Kings probably wouldn't have traded from 10 down to 15 and 20 and, and did what they did. But, um, he, he's miraculous and you're right. He does change the way that the teams are going to look at it because now everyone's going to be searching for that, that Donovan Mitchell player and hope that they land lightning in a bottle. So uh, is there a player that the Kings could look at at seven that would make sense in in that way?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, it depends on what they want out of this pick. If they do end up at six or I mean, they're not going to end up at six, but, uh, you know, they could end up at seven or or eight realistically. Yeah. I mean, like, I really like Muhammad Bamba as, like, a high upside ceiling player. Uh, He can shoot from distance. He's probably the best rim protector in the draft. But, you know, the Kings would then have to make a call on... If they want to keep Willie Cauley Stein coming into a contract year, Um, you know, a lot of the guys in this draft are bigs. And we just saw this leap from Willie that makes you think he can be the answer for them as a center. And, you know, as we see this game becoming more of a perimeter style game, how much do you really need? From the position, do you really need someone that you're paying $20 million a year to? I think the heat are learning that right now with Hassan Whiteside, unless you Mm -hmm. think the guy is going to be just an absolutely transcendent difference maker, Uh, you know, much in the same way, like Steven, like it has to be like Steven Adams level or higher almost to expend $20 million a year on a center. So. You know, do they feel confident with what they have in Willie Cully Stein? And if they do, uh, do you want to just go with a guard then? Do you want to go with a wing like a Mikhail Bridges? Like Mikhail Bridges could really, really help Sacramento next year Is a guy playing next to Buddy Heald, next to De'Aaron Fox. He could take some tougher defensive assignments uh, from Bogdan Bogdanovich as well. Like there's a lot of real help there that could be had by taking a wing, by taking a Miles Bridges as well. Uh, It just depends on what the kings are looking for i think
0: yeah i was going to ask you the the tale of two bridges um when you look at the two bridges you, you have to they're so different yep. uh and of course they are not related but they're so different and the way that they handle themselves and um i mean when i look at mikhail bridges i think okay maybe i can squint and see Shane Battier, or maybe someone a little bit better than that. You know, I I don't see the whole Kawhi Leonard thing that some people are coming up with. I I don't buy that. But then when I look at Miles Bridges, he looks like he can be an elite role player, if that makes sense. And and so like where so for me, the Kings need their biggest position of need is is a small forward position. They they really don't have anyone uh, that. As of today, says I'm an NBA starter. Uh, you know, Justin Jackson was given, I think he was given thirty-eight or thirty-nine starts on the season and really never found his role and his niche. Um, and they need that player, but they also need that guy who can go between the three and the four. And that's why I think Michael Porter Jr. is really intriguing for the Kings mm-hmm. because he he is a guy at six ten who might be able to play that sort of combo forward slash starting small forward position. Um, but when you look at the two bridges. The Kings need a dog. They need yep. somebody who's going to go in there and battle. And it sort sure of seemed like Miles is more that player. He's more the the player who plays with force and that might be able to go draw some fouls and get get to the line and, and do a little bit more for them. Uh, but how do you rate them? And do you think either one of them would be a huge stretch at seven, or do you just kind of look at it and say, okay, at seven, there's going to be you know five guys that could go number seven.
1: I tend to look at it more in the terms of the latter. I like McHale a little bit more than I like miles. Not a lot more. Um, th- the reason is more of the physical tools. They're both like six, seven or so, but McHale has a seven, two mm-hmm. wingspan. Miles has like a six, nine wingspan. Mikhail is a better, more consistent shooter, a better uh, quick twitch defender. Miles is a better run and jump athlete, uh, a better, uh, you know, physical powerful player as you mentioned just given the fact that he's like 230 pounds at his size uh just a very they're very different in general as you mentioned and it depends on what you're looking for from the kings for me i like threes and fours and you know general wing players who can actually defend and who can uh really just consistently knock down shots while not taking on a ton of usage i think that mikhail kind of Fits that mold a little bit better, uh, but Miles would be probably a better running partner for De'Aaron Fox. There are a lot of reasons that you could pick one or the other. Uh, I would probably go Mikhail though in general, just because I believe in his defense more and I believe in his jump shooting more.
0: Okay, you uh, you bring up those two, and they both make I think they both make a lot of sense to be honest with you. Uh, but where does Porter fit in that? I mean, yeah. you have him at six on your draft board. Um, if he falls to seven, are the Kings, is that a player that they should snatch up or should they be really leery? Cause it's not just the back injury. Um, there are some other little, you know, murmurs here and there about personality fits yeah. and stuff like that. But where do you have him at? Would you, would you take that, uh, that chance, especially knowing that you took a big chance on Harry Giles a year before and you have a player who who isn't you know who wasn't able to play in his in his rookie season. Well, yeah,
1: the, the chance on Giles, you know, Giles was like their third first round pick that year. He was twentieth. Of course, you know, I, I wouldn't let the you know the risk I took on Harry Giles inform any of my decision making in terms of taking a risk at number seven. Uh, you know, Michael Porter, the injuries are concerning. He does need to get a clear scan in terms of the back. The uh, personality conflicts. They were there at Missouri. He needs to make sure that he is taking the pre-draft process seriously and and needs to make sure that he is uh, making a good impression on executives uh, before the draft and before, uh, you know, the last week of June rolls around. They're certainly going to get reports, but he was never a kid that had those personality issues Going back through his career at, you know, Nathan Hale and before he moved to Washington, when he was from Missouri, never had those issues in Columbia. Like it's a very, it's a weird deal with Michael Porter. But you also have to remember this: he was the best player. He was the best prep player in the country last year. He is the number one player mm-hmm. in the twenty seventeen recruiting class for many folks. Uh, he is a three level scorer who can get buckets with the best of them. He is. A guy who can handle the ball, he can knock down shots from distance, uh, really can drive, really feels comfortable from the mid-range. And at six foot ten, he has great defensive versatility due to how fluid he is athletically. I think he gets kind of knocked a little bit more than he should for his athleticism. I think he's actually pretty bouncy, uh, and he gets up quick uh, whenever he does jump. So uh, I am a fan of Michael Porter's game on the floor does need to show a little bit more toughness, does need to show that he's not going to be a personality problem. But I think that his ceiling is a level higher than guys like Mikhail Bridges and Miles Bridges.
0: I would agree 100%. I think the ceiling is too much to pass on. And I think you want to, you want to make sure that you, you know who you're getting personality wise, but at the same time, I think the Kings might need somebody who, who, who thinks he's great and wants to go out and prove that he's great. Uh, They've got a few guys that, that, that do have that opinion, but they also have, you know, some guys that Dave Yeager talks about all the time. We have a group of really, really nice guys. Sometimes you need someone to not be nice and you need someone to, you know, maybe he's got to be put in check a couple of times, but at the same time, Uh, I'm not sure that the Kings have a personality that can put somebody in check if, you know, just depends on where their veterans come back, who comes back and who doesn't. So he's such an intriguing prospect. And if I were the Kings, I would be looking at him as really a guy that if you don't get one of the top two, that he might make as much sense as anybody else in this draft for you. Um, and then, you know, again, if, if one of the bridges are what you're choosing from at that point, and you don't want to draft a Mo Bamba or you, you pass on a Wendell Carter junior, uh, because you know, you have such a need at one position that, you know, I think it's basically Porter and then it's the bridges, like whichever one you like best. And so that's where I kind of look at the Kings at number seven. Um, I'm going to ask you this, uh, you got two, two point guards, Colin Sexton Trey Young, the Kings, uh, they're not drafting a point guard. I mean, theres it doesn't matter best player available. I don't think either of those players stick out to me as so good that you cannot pass because you have uh, De'Aaron Fox, but is there potential for one or two of them to help the Kings in a different way where they drop somebody to them? they They jump up in the draft process into the top five or six and push somebody better back to the
1: Kings. I think so. Yeah, Uh, you look at Orlando. Orlando has needed a lead guard for how many years now? (laughs) Uh, Many.
0: What do you mean? Alfred Payton, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, we'll say at least, what,
1: five years now they've needed one, uh, basically since Jameer Nelson left. So, uh, yeah, I think that they're certainly going to be in the market for one. I think that Atlanta could be in the market for one, depending on what they think of Dennis Schroeder. I think Phoenix certainly could be in the market for one if – they if the unquestionable happens and they fall to like four in the draft
0: um you mean like what always happens with the kings like they have 17 wins they fall to they fall three spots to number four they they have what 22 wins the next season they go from number two to number five yeah so you mean like Like the kings Kings. if something like that happens um
1: But I I think that Luka Doncic uh, is going to be an option for a lot of those guys. Some folks believe him to be uh, a little bit more of a lead ball handler type in the NBA. Uh, They might think of him as a potential point-ish type player. Uh, Trey Young, you mentioned. Trey Young is all over the board in terms of evaluation. Some teams think he is like a top four player in this class. Some teams think he is like a late first round pick. You really are going to be all over the map on where he ends up. So he could certainly jump into that mix. Colin Sexton, a lot of folks really love his demeanor. They love his mentality. They love the way that he is constantly attacking every single time he takes the floor. Um, Not impossible that he jumps into the mix at number six, number seven, something like that, depending on who gets that selection too. So I think the Kings could certainly be helped. I would mention this. If I was Sacramento, I would not like, be totally out on taking a point guard. Like, I mean, I know that De'Aaron Fox is there obviously, and he's your you know, guy that you want to build around, but you're Trey young and you know, you're sitting there at number eight and the Kings end up at number eight for whatever reason. And, they don't really have any of the bigs fall to them. And, uh, you know, you're choosing between Trey young and Mikhail bridges or Trey young and say Mikael goes at number eight or Mikael goes at number seven. And you're choosing between Trey young and Wendell Carter and miles bridges. I mean, not like a crazy decision in my opinion, just to take Trey young and, uh, give him the ball or let him play off ball with De'Aaron Fox and just kind of see what happens. You'll at least get some offensive boost.
0: Okay. I know I can't keep you all day, but I'm going to ask you, you you brought up uh, Luca and I Kings fans are going to be all over him because they always fall in love with one prospect. They all know that, um, you know, the European connections and, you know, you see so much tape of him and he looks magical and the kings are coming off bogdan bogdanovich really showing that he's a big time player um and, and so there's a lot of excitement there Um uh, you, you mentioned him at the point guard position can he play the point three yeah Can he can he fill that that three guard spot for, i mean the the three-man position for the kings? i think so
1: yeah he, he'd be a great pick if they end up at like number two number three for me uh The big question with him is going to be, is he going to be able to gain consistent separation uh, against NBA level talent? Some people think of him as like this can't miss number one for some reason. And I don't really buy into that necessarily. There are some worries there. Uh, He is already so physically developed. He is like six foot eight, 230 pounds, you know, long arms. He really is like very, very, uh, very good. But I just wonder if there are, some physical, I don't want to say limitations cause he's already so physically built, but like how much room for growth is there with him. And, and that's when you're drafting mm-hmm. 18, 19 year olds, you always have to account for that. In my opinion, you always have to remember that these guys uh, are going to get much, much better, or they're going to be, uh, you know, much of the same of what we've seen. Everyone goes along a different development track. And the concern with Luca is how far along the development track is he already, uh, I think he's probably pretty far down it, and I think he's going to be an excellent NBA starter who can kind of, you know, maybe reach a couple all-star games here and there. But I don't know that he's necessarily like the number one player in this draft. I think there are players with better upside.
0: Better upside. That that should be uh, the name of a blog somewhere. Better upside. I think upside. that
1: there's like a tremendous upside or ridiculous upside or something like that on SB Nation. <laughs>
0: Ridiculous upside is the, uh, the SB Nation blog on the yeah, G League. There it is. There it is. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. uh yeah. Some some good stuff there. Um, all right. So uh, last question before we let you go. I uh, is there a late riser that could all of a sudden <laughs> play themselves into a, a number seven, a number seven pick spot, number eight? Uh, Always got to watch
1: with the Kings. Um... Yeah.
0: Where's your Johnny <laughs> Flynn? Who's your Johnny <laughs> Flynn? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Shay Alexander, I think is going to help himself during the pre-draft process. Six foot six, seven foot wingspan lead guard at Kentucky this year, you know, multiple positional or very multiple positionality, maybe even though that's not a word we could call it that, uh, Mitchell Robinson's kind of a wild card right now, but I think there are enough centers that teams feel comfortable with that they will uh, probably take ahead of him. Uh, You look at Zaire Smith is a guy that's quickly rising. He was like a top 200 recruit coming into this year as a freshman ends up going one and done because people realized how athletic, how quick he is and how smart he plays the game. Wouldn't surprise me to see him rise up beyond that. I, I think that you're mostly talking about like a pretty set top seven ish guys like you know you can maybe get down to 12 or 13 but i'd be surprised if someone from like outside of the top 13 jumped into the top seven at least
0: there it is all right well that is sam facini from the athletic and also game theory podcast thanks for uh, thanks so much for joining me it's great just to have the conversation and sort of hash some of these things yeah up. we'll
1: do it again sometime soon james
0: yeah, maybe we'll even have you on before the draft, as things get to t- get tighter and get crazy, and you know, we yeah,
1: know. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm always around. I'm happy to help you out. Uh, it's just, you know, who, who knows with this draft class? I'll have more information then.
0: That's right. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Insider podcast on NBC Sports California. Brought to you by Wendy's. Again, thanks so much, Sam Facini, for coming in and really hashing this thing out and, and breaking down the 2018 draft class. You've been listening to the Kings Insider Podcast on NBCSportsCalifornia.com, brought to you by Wendy's. Get a taste of the Southwest with Wendy's new Southwest Avocado Chicken Sandwich and Southwest Avocado Chicken Salad. Bold Southwest flavors topped with cool, creamy avocado, but they're only available for a limited time at participating Wendy's. Make sure to drop by Wendy's. And, hey, if you haven't already – Please visit Apple Podcasts or Google Play to subscribe to our podcast. And if you like what we're doing here, give us a rating and a review. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at NBCS Authentic. We'll be back next week with Doug Christie and other amazing guests. Thanks for tuning in, Kings fans. We'll see you very soon.